This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rank wide on TSN 1040. Now, here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. Yeah, rink wide on your radio. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside my man, J.D. Berg. Man, man of the people, too. I'm fired up. I just did two hours solo. Now I got someone to talk to. Not that I don't talk to Croker. I like talking to Croker and all the guests that we had, but... It's going to be a big show here, though. Like This is one of our biggest shows uh, to date since we have started the rink-wide brand. Dan Carcillo is going to join us. Former NHL player and yep. very outspoken on many, many different topics, including this Don Cherry stuff, including Jess Allen's con- uh, comments, of course, from The Social, a girl that uh, I knew who she was. Before all this stuff came out, because I've seen mm-hmm. the social here just on on TV around the uh, um, office from time to time. But man, some pretty strong stuff from her. So uh, we'll get Dan's uh, opinion on all of that. Of course, we'll get into the manifesto, which you love it. You get fire. I, I believe you're still writing it right now. You're like, oh, well, I'm writing notes because yeah. I'm going to be broaching a sensitive topic. And I want to make sure that I'm at Good. my absolute best when I do that. Absolutely. Second hour, we'll talk to uh, Thomas Drance. It, it, we're going to kind of take Drancer and. And do sort of a preview of tonight's game against the Avalanche, but also ride the bus to Utica because he literally went to Utica this past week and yep. uh, and got the inside scoop of what's happening with the uh, baby Canucks, the Comets. Uh, Ryan Clark is going to join us also in the second hour uh, from the Athletic. Uh, he is the Colorado Avalanche reporter. Get the uh, other side of things in terms of the uh, Canucks and the Avalanche. Uh, big, big, big weekend of sports uh, happening in an Another big weekend uh, around the NHL. A really big week. Uh, So let's drop the puck. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. And uh, to start the drop the puck segment, uh, JD, uh, we got to, well, we got to, we got to drop the puck for Coop. We got to pay our respects to one of the old time greats of, of Canucks Twitter. Uh, somebody who who held us accountable, mm-hmm. who drove me personally insane on more than one occasion, and you know what? Coop wouldn't want me to remember him any other way. You know, I know that for a fact, and it's it's a sad day for Canucks Twitter. It's a sad day for his family, and I just want to make clear that he's going to be missed by everyone who's a part of the Rinkwide Show, yeah, Rinkwide family, absolutely, and that he'll be in our our hearts and minds along with his family. Uh, during this most trying time. You know what's the, the, the coolest part about what you just said, too, is that you could have a debate with Coop on Twitter, and then at the end of it, sort of, you know, cheers. All right, that was good. We're done. Like that's On multiple occasions. And Twitter, we, 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 we need more of that. We need more people that can bring in a healthy conversation, bring in a healthy debate, and not have it be mudslinging, and not have us be, you know, divided on one side or the other. Just come in, healthy conversation, debate something, move on to the next. We need way more of that in our society, and uh, it's a big loss uh, for, well, you know, 
for all of us uh, with Ian Cooper. Again, Canucks Twitter is is a community. It's uh, it's a fun community at times, but it also can be uh, a bit of a cesspool as well. And uh, I'm glad that uh, I got to meet Coop not only on social media, but got to meet him here in the studio as well. The first time he beat cancer, uh, he came into studio with us, uh, but unfortunately uh, wasn't able to uh, win the fight the second time around. So uh, tip of the cap to Coop, of course. And, um, you know, this show, this is for you, buddy. Yep. And, well, I, I, I got one more thing to add okay. to that, too. I want to, you know what, nobody does this at the time for credit or chops or whatever, but uh, a personal due of credit and a tip of the cap to Matt Sakaris, who has been all class throughout yeah. this and in, in keeping his message going and sharing his, his news with, with the people who care about him. And I, I, I just think that he's handled this most difficult moment because I know Coop was close to Matt Sakaris with a plum. And I, I want to make sure that it's clear that I appreciate all he did uh, in these last few weeks. Here, here. All right, let's get into things now. Uh, the Canucks uh, this week, not a great week uh, for the Canucks. And they're reeling a little bit, 1-2-0 and oh for the week. Of course, a loss to Jersey uh, last Sunday. A win over Nashville, which, you know, I think they were lucky to get a W in that one. I think if you're the Preds, they're probably thinking uh, that was one that slipped away from them. And then that loss to uh, Dallas on Thursday. Uh, we got more injuries with the team right now. Brandon Sutter out until, well, at least what's being reported somewhere around the 21st. Uh, Jay Beagle, day-to-day, we just talked to Jeff Patterson. He said that uh, Travis Green says that Beagle should be ready for the road trip uh, that is coming up. And then, of course, uh, Michael Furland. And it's almost like, all right, another week just went by, and Michael Furland still not out of concussion protocol. So out of all of that, J.D., I will let you cherry pick, no pun intended, on where you want to start. Well, I, I think we need to start with the fact that there is a, a deep irony that only the Canucks could suffer in the fact that they go from having two of the same player to none of them in the span of a week. And of course, I'm talking about Brandon Sutter, I'm talking about Jay Beagle, and the added burden that is placed on the shoulders of one Bo Horvat, who has pl- had to play upwards of 27 minutes, the most by any forward this season, in a non-overtime finish. And I wonder how long this is su- sustainable. And, and how long the Canucks are going to push their luck with, with Bo Horvat, because it's a bit of a microcosm of what we've seen with this Canucks blue line, which is play them until they break down. And I think that we don't need to go that far into Canucks history to know what happens when you go down this road. Look at what happened in the John Tortorella year, a year that is remembered in infamy. Everything looked great. The Sedins were putting up tons of points. Kessler's never looked better. And then November happened. And you can't keep playing your your players like this. Eventually, they'll break down. I just don't know what the alternative is. And I don't think the Canucks do either. Now, what's going to be interesting, aside from all of that, is how Adam Gaudet responds. Because he has had a few chances here and there, but he's never had an extended look like the one that he's going to get now with Brandon Sutter and, to a lesser degree, Jay Beagle out of the lineup. And and so far, he's responded strongly. I've liked his play. I'd love to see him contribute a few points. This is it. This is the moment. You look at Adam Gaudet, how old he is. One year younger than Bo Horvat. This isn't a spring chicken. It is put up or shut up time, and we're going to see what he's made of. I think he's up to it, and I think the Canucks are going to be better as an organization in the long term if he proves the worth of that conviction. How worried are you about this Furland uh, concussion stuff right now? I, I'm... I was worried last uh, last winter when he was talking about the concern he had for his long-term health uh, beyond hockey. 
Mm-hmm. And to see him suffer a concussion over what looked to be such a minor play. I mean, we, we can talk about the fact that there's no such thing as a minor concussion. We can talk about the fact that any head trauma isn't minor. But do you remember him suffering anything even close to a major blow in that fight? Do you, did nope. you remember him thudding to the ice? I mean, it, it looked pretty standard fare. The type of dance that we see so commonly in the NHL when two fighters decide to go at it. And to see him suffer this type of effect, it really does make you wonder. I mean, never mind his hockey playing career. What's he going to be like when he's 35, when he's 40, when he's 45? And as somebody who's suffered more than his fair share of concussions myself, I can tell you that you start to, you really do start to feel them after a certain point. I mean, short-term memory loss is very common, and it's very common to strike people in their earlier years. And and I got to say, I mean, the Canucks, they'll be fine without Michael Furland. He was always a bit of a luxury piece, I thought, when they when they signed him. I, I'm more concerned about what life for, for Michael Furland is like beyond hockey. All right. Uh, Dr. Demko gets the starting goal for the Canucks tonight. Are you surprised about that? I'm surprised, and, and I know that uh, J-Pat is, is taking some heat on Twitter, and, and usually I would love to relish in that experience, perhaps join in, uh, as a matter of fact. But there there are some shades. JD trolling, huh? There are some shades. Oh, yeah, because J-Pat's innocent in that regard. That's true. There are some shades of Luongo Heritage Classic. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there are some parts of this that remind you of that moment. Not identical, not analogous, of course, but you can't tell me that it doesn't have a similar ring to it. Now, whether this this is about the long-term future of this team, whether this is about the Canucks trying to see how Thatcher Demko responds to being in the starters crease, there are so many different questions, so many different directions we can take this in. I think the simple fact right now is Jacob Markstrom is going through a lot, and we talk about our condolences, we talk about it being a heavy-hearted week. Yeah, do you, do you think that maybe this is, this is I the think factor that could, for this? I think that, that could maybe be a they factor. said to, Dem- to, to Markstrom, hey, listen, like, we're going to give you a couple days here. And- I think so. So, I think that the, could play a role. With the road trip coming up as well, you know, they're, he's going to handle Jacob Markstrom. They're going to need him. Yeah. And and I think that much is clear as day. And I think that the fact that Thatcher Demko is playing so well, why not capture on that? Why not seize that in this moment when you need it most? When yeah. you need to give your player a, a little moment to be human. Never mind a, an elite goaltender or an above average one. You need to let him have a moment to be human. And I can't imagine the pain and suffering he's going through. And I want to offer my condolences yeah. to everyone in the Markstrom family on that note. And I just want to wish Thatcher Demko the best in what is obviously going to be one of the biggest starts of his career and I think the Canucks are going to be better off in the long term for having gone through this moment and hopefully both of the players are too yeah absolutely Uh, flying skate returns tonight you're a huge fan it's it's an ugly logo it is the best logo it is hideous the Canucks you know what okay I'm doing it I didn't even know I'm doing this right now hold on I didn't even know that it was a skate until I was like in my late teens how can you tell me it's a good logo if it is indiscernible if you have no idea what it is I always knew it was a skate, oh. so I don't know about you, but... Come on, man. Like, I am not the only person who have held that opinion. In fact, we had Wyatt Arndt of the Athletic Vancouver... He loves on, it. He loves it, yes, but he agrees that he didn't even know what it was for the longest time. Like, how can you say it's a good logo if you don't know what it is? Okay, I'm putting this to the people. I'm do, I'm writing the poll question right now. You can probably even hear me typing. I am putting this out to the people. I had a poll question up earlier asking if you're watching Hockey Night in Canada. It's over we're about 70% right now of people saying they are 540 votes so I'll let that one sort of uh, rest now you know I'm who putting can it be, out there you know who can be the tiebreaker all right 
People who want to call into the show, call in at 604-280-1040, toll-free 1-844-876-1040, text us at 1040-40. Jason Croker, where do you stand on this one? You're going to love this. Yeah. I had no idea it was a skate logo either. Really? But... It's so nice. Are oh, you kidding me? Come on. It's just gorgeous. Color scheme is fantastic. Oh, it color, works. The color scheme is nice. I'll give you that much. The color scheme is fantastic. Honestly, I'm. Oh, look at this foam board lighting up now. I, I knew this would uh, stir up conversation. That's why I wanted to add we'll, it. We'll get a couple uh, quick calls in because we got a break here, and uh, we we got time. For we got a little bit. Calls. We got a little two bit calls. time for that. Yeah, yeah. and then we got to go to Carcillo, but we'll we'll let the people have their say. I'm crafting up the poll question. I'll put it out in just a moment. But uh, uh, Croker's just uh, dialing in. Uh, who's calling right now? Um, to me, again, I, I, <laughs> this sounds weird. I'm probably one of the only people, and Graham and Ronnie, just hold tight. Uh, I actually even liked the red when they did that red. It's not even red. <laughs> it's salmon, man. It's salmon. Sorry, salmon. I actually liked it. I don't know. Uh, I thought it was pretty oh, cool. All right, man. let's bring in Graham. Graham, your thoughts on it. Welcome to the program. Graham and Sue. Hey, hey, buddy. Good. Um, so I'm 52 years old. I was glad to see the end of the flying V. So any logo was going to be better than that. But I never knew that was a scoot until probably until almost the end of them wearing it and going into the new logo. Okay, but do so you, I don't. I still, when I look at it, don't see a skate. But do you like so. the do you like the logo and do you like the color scheme better than what they're currently wearing? The old hockey stick and the colors are way better. But okay. I do, I, I do like the black and that logo. I do like that logo in the black uh, and the white. But um, obviously, the you know nobody likes the orca, but the uh, the hockey stick and rink is is by far their best logo ever. My All man. right, thanks so My much, there, uh, Graham. Thanks for uh, uh, listening to the show and chiming in. Uh, let's get Ronnie from Delta. Ronnie, uh, your thoughts on it? Boys, 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 come on, let's let's pull our head out of it. I would donate my left lung if they were the flying V. That thing is magic. That's history. Why doesn't anybody see that? It must be flying off the shelves. Am I wrong or am I a wacko? Tell me. Well, you know what I will say is that I think that people like the memories associated with that jersey a lot more than they like the actual jersey because it is a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> All right. Oh, one more. Gavin in White Rock. Uh, what says you? Okay. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's, okay, biased because I'm a Canucks fan, obviously, but it is one of the best jerseys in the league, in my opinion. Which one? And, Which one is? Oh, the Flying State. Sorry. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I think that uh, many other fans from different fan bases would say the same thing. I mean, uh, I guess it's not a really reliable source, but on Instagram, when NHL is posting these jerseys and getting people to vote on them, a lot of people, even from different fan bases, are saying, wow, I got to admit, Vancouver's got one hell of a third jersey. And just want to say this on the side. Edmonton's jersey looks disgusting. The one that they were, uh, their jersey as well. <laughs> the one that's dark blue and orange. It just made no sense. What, that um, new one? It's that terrible. New one? Oh, it's terrible. I love it. It's terrible. I absolutely oh, love it. On. It's gross. <laughs> Thank you, Gavin. I hate Edmonton, but it's a dirty jersey. I don't like it. All right, Gavin, thanks so much. You know what's funny is uh, Karen Sermon here that works at the station, she's our in-house Oilers fan. She hates it as well. It's so, so bad. And uh, uh, speaking of the Oilers, there we go. Let's switch gears to the Oilers. Mick, David, Dreisaitl. Okay, they are doing some ridiculous things right now. Uh, over the last three games, between the two of them, they have 21 
points between the two of them. Dreisaitl, three games, 11 points, a goal and 10 helpers. Whereas McDavid, three games, 10 points, six tallies, four assists. JD, where do McDavid and Dreisaitl measure up against the top duos to ever play in the NHL? Well, insofar as they're on a, a line together, that's as good as it gets. You know, I mean, maybe not all time, but in the NHL right now, certainly. You've got the best player in the world in Connor McDavid. And you've got a top five winger in the NHL in Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, I'm going to try and pull up the data here, but I think the splits, when I last checked, the Oilers were controlling nearly 70% of the goals whenever those two were on the ice. You take them off of the ice, that number drops into the late 20s. Late 20s. I mean, that to me is a testament to two things, how excellent those players are, but also that Peter Shirelli should not be allowed within 100 meters of any hockey rink, <laughs> much less a boardroom where decisions are made. But, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're special players, man. And uh, I, I know that Canucks fans aren't exactly going to be thrilled that they have to see them so regularly as a result of the divisional component, but damn, what a, what a special set of talents. Um I talked to Steve Coolius on Sports Saturday and uh, asked his perspective on it. Where do you see the Oilers right now? I mean, obviously they've done themselves some some good in terms of piling up some points early in the season. But we've seen in the past, St. Louis Blues, that you know you can scuttle a bit at the start of the year and then still be able to get yourself back in. And I'm sure the, it could go the other way as well, obviously. But is it sustainable what the Oilers are doing right now? Because it's, it's so top-heavy. Well, their their underlying profile suggests that it's not that it's not even close uh, to sustainable. They're in the bottom ten of the league by by shot attempts controlled at five on five. Bottom ten in the league in terms of expected goals. They're getting extremely lucky. They're getting great goaltending out of two players that I would never uh, suspect that would happen from in Mike Smith and uh, Koskinen. Now. I think the question with the Edmonton Oilers isn't all that dissimilar to the one the Vancouver Canucks fans are asking about their own team. The question is, how much can they play Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid? Because whenever they're on the ice, the Oilers have the advantage. But when they're not, it's game over. But you wonder how long that advantage is going to stay as strong as it is because they're playing Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid upwards of 25 minutes. Right? How long can they sustain that? I think the Oilers have all the makings of a house of cards. Now, the question is, have they done enough early to make up for their pratfalls that are likely going to hit later in the season? That's a different question. I think that this team has done enough early that they might be able to legitimately contend for a playoff spot. And I think that's a bit of a credit to, to everything that Tippett is doing. They're so much more structured than I've seen in years past. And I think that's helping out the goaltending. I just don't know if I would bet on it long term. All right, that, uh, that'll, that'll wrap up the Drop the Puck segment, but I do uh, want to get some of these replies in the inbox. I love how you start talking about jerseys and people just, boom, the inbox blows up. And honestly, I like this too because we've had so much negative over the week and, and divisiveness between uh, everybody. I, I, I like how we're having a healthy debate about a damn jersey right now, so this is great. Uh, best jersey ever, says Scott and Langley. Yes, love the logo and know it's a skate. Come on, hockey fans. What else could be a tennis racket? That's from Ray and Marple. 
I think people love the flying uh, skate because of the vintage look, but at the time, people weren't overly attracted to it. 20 years from now, uh, we'll love the Orca. That's from Unsigned. Mm-hmm. Let's just call him Gary. I'll steal a bullet page out of Alfred and Bruff. Let, let's uh, sign your text. Just sign your text, people. Uh, another one. This is Larry in Abbotsford. I love the flying skate logo. Both the black and white jerseys are fantastic while the game uh, is being played. At worst, those that should be the permanent third jerseys, I agree with that, uh, if not going back to full-time. 100%, Larry, I totally agree with that. What about I would Craig love to and see Campbell it. River? All right, yeah, I'm cherry-picking a little bit. I, yeah, yeah. Indiscernible to J.D. Burke and Wyatt Arndt, I am just blown away. Two of society's highest minds, thank you, could not comprehend such high art. It's clearly the best logo, although we don't exactly have a murderer's row of amazing jerseys. Thank you, Craig and Campbell River, who recognizes me as one of society's highest minds. Last one, this is from Bill. The skate logo is so good that Versace had to copy it. Well done there. Well, yeah, they're, they're not tacky at all. Well done. Uh, Nathan in CR, so in Costa Rica, I'm believing. Uh, downhill skate is great, but I never saw the H uh, in the Hartford Whalers jerseys till this year. Uh, till years after the team had left. Yes, Flying V and current colors would rock the market. It would be interesting. It would be bold. Bold, bold to bring back the Flying V, although I just don't think we're ever going to see it again. All right, on the other side, guys, we are going to get into it. Uh, Dan Carcillo's, uh, or Carcillo, Carcillo. Where did you come up with I don't that? know what it is. I say Italian names wrong. I say Ferraro Ferrero, like every time. I don't know what it is with Italian last names. Dan I'm surprised you didn't say Versace. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, I got yeah, I nailed Versace, right? Uh, Dan Carcillo uh, going to join us on the other side. It's Ring It's the show that always scores here on TSN 1040. This holiday, what if giving also felt like getting? At Indigo Chapters and Coles, we have incredible gifts that inspire moments. Fabulous books, toys, home decor, and everything else you need to give more magic. Visit us in-store or at indigo.ca. Back Flying V. Like, it would just be unreal to bring back Why? Flying V. Because it's because it's because it's so bad, it's good. It's an abomination. It's so bad. It's, it, and you, you notice we didn't put the millionaires on there, because that one's... Uh, uh, like, when they brought that back, for what was it, the Heritage Classic? Yeah, like th- that just felt odd. I mean, that whole everything, everything that about that felt went odd. Uh, sideways yeah. very quickly. It yeah. was. Uh, I mean, the the jerseys were kind of not that good. You know, I, I I don't know what they were supposed to do. I mean, they they kind of fit with what the originals were, but I, I don't remember there being much of a reception for them. And and frankly, they've kind of just vanished into Canucks lore, never to be seen or heard again. It seems that way. Yeah, I, like uh, I, I don't think we're ever going to see those jerseys again or anything like them, really. Brooke Ward, of course, our man on the uh, sports desk. He loves to tweet out old vintage uh, hockey players and you know cool old photos from back in the day in the NHL. He tweeted one out of uh, Cheech, uh, John Garrett. The the day wearing the flying V, it looked almost like he was wearing a whoa, dress. Whoa, 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 whoa! Were there ketchup stains on the jersey? There because could have been. Uh, how else would we know whether it was him or not? But there, there, just saying. By the way, yeah, the, the ketchup and pizza thing—that is, that is—I don't get that. That is a war crime. I don't get that. That but is a crime the, against humanity. The actual sweater itself looked like uh, like like Cheech was wearing a dress. Like it was just—it was kind of tight. And then, of course, with those old school pads and everything. One of the coolest things that came out of that era, though, was the mask that you would get from some oh, of the... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, some of those ones goodness. were so good. Like the uh, the skull one yes. that the Canucks goalie had. Yes. 
Amazing. Uh, we're having Amazing. a hard time uh, connecting with uh, Dan Carcillo right now, so uh, we'll just uh, see if Croker can get him on the line. But yeah, like I said, guys, new poll question is up right now at TSN 1040 on poll, uh, on uh, uh, Twitter, that is, uh, which Canucks sweater do you prefer? There's been a few. We didn't even add the millionaires because I don't know if you can do more than four in a poll on Twitter. And also, I just seen it. It just seems so weird that they would even bust it back out. The one thing I did like about that, though, was the pants they wore. That the, those uh, what were they kind of creamish color? Oh yeah, yeah. the off white. Yeah, yeah. I, the sticking rink is is such good design. All right, let's talk I, about uh, tonight's it, it game. It frustrates me endlessly Let, that it doesn't get the love it deserves. Let's talk about tonight's game since they'll be wearing the downhill skates tonight. Uh, if you're just tuning in right now, uh, Thatcher Demko um, is going to get the start in goal uh, for the Canucks tonight. Pretty interesting uh, that they'll start Demko. I don't want to say there's any sort of goalie controversy, especially since, you know, Jacob Markstrom is going through uh, what he's battling through after losing his father and, uh, you know, something we, you know, definitely tough to play through for anyone, especially if you're uh, a professional athlete. But uh, Thatcher Demko getting the starting goal tonight. Some people, if you took, you know, the, what's happening with Markstrom just away from the entire situation, there are some people that would like to see Demko get more starts. And I think it has something to do with the fact that, hey, listen, there's got to be a decision made here this year. We've talked about it on this show. I talked about it earlier on Sports Saturday that the reality is they have to make a decision on what the future of their goaltending is going to be. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that they have to make that decision before the season even even ends. They have to make that decision going into the trade deadline, plain and simple. And I think that, look, we've been getting told for so long that Thatcher Demko is the future of the Canucks crease. And now I think there's a certain appetite within the market that we've been told this for five years. Everybody is bought in, and now he's playing up to the part. And now I think there's an appetite to see if we can get him going, if we can catch lightning in a bottle, if we can see him elevate himself to that position so that the Canucks can save some money in net, so that the Canucks can move on from Jacob Markstrom, maybe recoup some of the assets that they lost over the summer. They lost a third and a first-round pick. I don't think any goalie in today's NHL is going to net you a first-round pick, but perhaps the Canucks can make up that third-round pick and more. Perhaps they can do better than that, right? They have to find creative ways to handle their assets because they've got so many inefficiencies up and down their lineup. And right now, this is the one avenue that I see available to them. And it behooves the Canucks to, at the very least, explore it. Now, that said, I do think there is a bit of behind-the-scenes stuff going on here that is contributing to this every bit as much as the on-ice questions, the long-term questions. We talked about what Jacob Markstrom and his family is going through. I think that plays a role in this as well. But I'm certainly not going to hold it against the Canucks if they're trying to explore all of their options as they prepare for what the future might look without one or both of them as soon as next season. Yeah. Um, As far as, you know, Markstrom is concerned right now, you know, he's going to definitely be looking for somewhere between a four to five year contract and and, and rightfully so, especially since, you know, his age. All the power to him. This is his time for him to to hit a home run. Um, We will talk to Thomas Stranth and we we do have a programming note here as well, guys. Uh, Thomas Stranth's going to join us at 2.30 today. Uh, We're going to flip-flop him and Ryan uh, Clark 
Burke, who is from the Athletic in Colorado, or for the uh, in Colorado that is, or Denver, I guess, uh, the Colorado Avalanche uh, reporter. So we're going to flip those two. Uh, looks like we're we're having a hard time getting uh, Dan Carcillo uh, Car- right now. Uh, so we'll probably move on uh, from that. Lots in the inbox right now, though. A lot of these. As soon as you start talking jerseys, boom, the inbox explodes, and uh, we're getting a lot of support for all the different jerseys for the Canucks this year. Uh, so I appreciate everyone chiming in. Uh, we can take some phone calls if you want right now. 604-280-1040, 844-876-1040. That's toll-free, or you can hit us up uh, via text at 1040-40. Email live at tsn1040.ca, uh, or you hit me up on Twitter, Andrew Wadden. That's W-A-D-D-E-N, or at TSN1040. Uh, what's your handle again, J.D.? I always forget. J. Dylan Burke. That's right, J. Dylan Burke on All fan Twitter. Mail. That way, please. As well. Uh, looking ahead at tonight's uh, uh, a matchup, uh, a beat-up Colorado bunch, but this is a team that, you know, scores a lot of goals and uh, haven't basically haven't had Ranton in for the majority of the season so far. Um, you know, what are the s- sort of things that you take away uh, from this Avalanche team that currently is second in the Central Division, five points behind uh, the reigning Stanley Cup champs in the St. Louis Blues? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that the, the Canucks can't take them lightly. Right. And, and the Colorado Avalanche, you look at the roster they put together this summer, you look at the players they acquired, you look at the players that they kept in tow, whether it was a, uh, somebody like a Nathan, or not Nathan McKinnon, sorry, Miko Rantanen, uh, Philip Grubauer, like they've, they've done everything they can to insulate this core with some high end talent, right? And you're still talking about a lineup that's going to have Nathan McKinnon. You're talking about a lineup that's going to have Nazem Kadri, Junis Donskoy, Andre Burakovsky. You go up and down the list. There's still some real legitimate NHL talent on this roster, particularly on the back end where Kale McCarr, he seems like a real threat to, to Quinn Hughes' dominance in the Calder Trophy conversation, right? I mean, this is a team that is fast, that plays quick, that's going to bring it on a night-to-night basis. I know the Canucks are going to be facing their, what, third, fourth, fifth goaltender? We know based on history that those are the moments when the Canucks are most vulnerable, whether it makes sense or otherwise. They're going to have to bring their A game regardless of the circumstances in front of them. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Bill in Lake Couch. And Bill, what's on your mind? Hey, hey how's everybody? it going? Love the show. Uh, any Don Cherry supporters, watch the game. And then at the intermission, 15 minutes ice clean, watch something else. Thank you very much. Have a good one. All right, thanks, thanks for the call, Bill. Yeah, there's there's definitely some people that are going to do that. I think he's going to like my uh, my manifesto. Well, yeah, listen, I'm open to everyone's opinion when it comes to this show, whether you you support Don Cherry or not. But the the reality is this: I don't want us taking you know side to side and not hearing one another. We got to hear what everyone has to say about uh, the situation. We'll get your take on it uh, during the manifesto. The, the I, correct take. I get. <laughs> <laughs> I gave my my piece on it in uh, Yamad Bro earlier on Sports Saturday. I mean, everyone's got an opinion on it, and and we're all entitled to it. And Some opinions are better than others. That's the the beauty of it. Uh, God, what am I doing with you? Like, do you, like what, what do you want me to say to this? All right. Well, I don't know. Just anoint the take. Everybody's entitled to it, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be kind of interesting because I did ask earlier, um, you know, whether you're going to watch Hockey Night in Canada tonight because you know a lot of people were saying 
I, I, you know, I'm not supporting Rogers. I'm not supporting Sportsnet anymore. You know, we even had a guy call into the station this week that said, I have 20 employees in my business and we have Rogers phones and we're cutting. We're flipping providers. That's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Stupid. Pretty, well, I don't know if it's stupid or not, but I mean, that's a hard line to take, definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, uh I don't want to give away the goods because I've got my, my rant coming up and I've put a lot of time and effort into it. But the fact of the matter is that hockey continued to grow. It continued to evolve as a, as a sport and it continued to, to become increasingly more diverse, progressive. And Don Cherry didn't. And he suffered that. And Bruce Arthur made this point earlier this week. He knew for a long time his politics were going to get him fired. In much the same way that myself, an outspoken uh, person on Twitter who repeatedly expresses his political views and refuses to pull any punches to that exact end, knows the risk that I assume. And I, I, I think if you if you want to live along that line, you have to be willing to accept the consequences. And and I'm having a really hard time drumming up much sympathy for the guy. I mean, look, let's let's look at this outside of the context of what he said, which is abhorrent, it's racist, it is xenophobic, and we'll get into all of that in the next segment. Why don't we just talk about the fact that he has done nothing to enhance our viewing experience of the game of hockey for the last 20 years? How many times have I been told to keep my stick out of the lane when an opposing forward is coming with speed? How many times have I been told that I shouldn't keep my, I should keep my stick out of the way when a blue liner is taking a shot. How many times have I been told that if I'm going to play a rat's game, I have to be willing to fight and suffer brain damage? Look, he has not contributed he has not contributed anything new to the sport of hockey in the last 20 plus years. And let me tell you, as a result of that, I think that on the merit of his qualities of an analyst, he has no place in the sport, never mind the fact that he is a xenophobic racist who brings zero value to the game itself. Did we just hear the manifesto, or are we going to do that on, on the other side? Oh, man, I'm just getting started. That's an appetizer. All right, there you have it. Uh, JD's manifesto, which I'm pretty sure you can tell what it's going to be about. Coming up next, right here on Rinkwide, the show that always scores on TSN 1040. Hey, it's John Shorthouse, and I'm no plumbing expert, but the team at Universal Supply is. If you're a contractor doing plumbing repair or replacement work, Universal Supply is where you'll find everything you need to navigate the constraints of a no-flame environment. Universal has the expertise and the equipment, including the full line of BMI ProPress fittings. When you want the job done safely and quickly, see the plumbing experts at Universal Supply Vancouver, off Grandview Highway, right beside Lowe's for puck-in-the-crowd injuries. One such incident included homophobic remarks levied against the, the people of Los Angeles in the 1991 playoffs. He then denied the role of racism in limiting the opportunities of First Nations people in hockey during the 2007 season, then again in 2013 lamented the presence of women in NHL locker rooms as reported. This, of course, doesn't even begin to capture the xenophobia that Cherry directed towards Swedes, Russians, and even French Canadians. Then Cherry crossed the line in such a way that could no longer be ignored. He said the quiet part loudly and directed it directly towards the people most vulnerable in our society. The people trying to emigrate to Canada. The people trying to integrate themselves into Canadian life, who most often use hockey as a vehicle towards that end. No, the issue isn't that he said, quote-unquote, you people. You take away that part of the comment, it is every bit as vile, as hurtful, as xenophobic, and yes, racist, as it is otherwise. He followed up, you people that come here. 
look, if you take away those parts of the statement, sure. It's not quite as bad. But how convenient is that? You take away the two most racist remarks in the entire rant, and all of a sudden it's good? No. Look, we all have this uncle. We all have this grandparent in our family. But they don't get a platform like Don Cherry has had for the last, what, 40-plus years to hurl those remarks at the very people who most need our protection and allyship in this nation. Now, there has been a firm denial of the principles that he espoused by the hockey community and even the Canucks at large. And we have pushed back against those terms in the most unforgiving way. And for that, I feel a deep sense of pride. I feel a deep sense of community. I feel something that I am so often devoid of from hockey. A moment of bonding from people of all different angles of life. But in none of these rants have I seen anyone address the comments that Don Cherry made on their face. That these immigrants owe it to us, to us second, third, fourth, and fifth generation Canadians, to buy our poppies and join us in lionizing the brave armed forces that we try to honor annually with these gestures. Part of accepting these communities into our country means accepting the very lived experiences that they bring alongside them. Experiences that not, might not align with the ones that we have fostered in this nation over the last 200 years of confederation. Now, I need you to ask yourself these questions because they apply to nearly every corner of the globe. And our privilege simply cannot be overstated in this regard. Would a Chilean immigrant fleeing the brutality of the Augusto Pinochet regime in Chile bring with them peachy memories of the troops that carried out that coup and the violence in the following years? Would a Kashmiri refugee fleeing the violence of that region bring with them a sense of peace when confronted by military forces? Would Bolivian refugees, of which there will be many in the coming years, bring with them a conception of the military and police as saviors after the partially racially motivated coup they've persecuted? The same applies to the Rohingya community. Ask yourself, what is the military's job when it goes abroad? Now, of course, the military of Canada has committed no such atrocities, and that much cannot be overstated. They have fought time and again to preserve the way of life that these people so greatly and in such thorough numbers want to accept, want to embrace and be a part of. But if lionizing this profession isn't among their cultural practices, I think we have to respect their right to do just that. We have to respect that they don't owe us anything. That the case for allowing these people into our communities, into our hockey ranks, into our hockey teams, isn't one that can be laid out in a pros and cons balance sheet. It is one that rests in your heart and in your conscience and in your mind. I cannot say this enough. And furthermore, I think that it is that freedom that these troops fought so hard to defend. That they persecuted a war so that we might have these choices. In all of these following remarks from the Don Cherry incident, we've heard a lot of people come out and push back. And I appreciate that. What we haven't seen is a sense of solidarity that allows us to move forward as a community. Not just as defenders, but as allies in this fight. Against persecution, against racism, against all forms of xenophobia that affect these communities. And allow me to use this opportunity with my platform, such as it exists in this manifesto, to let you people know, the people that were hurt by those comments, that I'm in this fight with you every step of the way. And you are as welcome in Canada and as loved and as appreciated, whether you buy a poppy or not. And that is your right. And I will fight to respect that with every fiber of my being. And that is the manifesto. Whew. 
I knew you've been waiting for this. I knew you've been waiting all week for this. And you got your platform now. Um, the funny thing about this, and, and you know, maybe it's, uh, and, and although I'm starting to see two sides now, but as soon as you started in on your piece, the inbox, it just starts coming at that point. Lots of and, fan and it, mail, it's people, sure. it's people that are pushing back on you. And, you know, hey, listen, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm talking to you guys in the inbox, and I'm also talking to you, JD. We're all entitled to the opinion. There's someone else that's that's got your back now in here. This is the problem with the entire situation for me, is that it's it. People are making it black and white when there's a whole lot of gray in there. My opinion when it comes to Don Cherry was it was time. He put his foot in his mouth for the last time. Um. I'm not going to paint him with the brush that others have and call him a this and that, but it was time. You cannot say the things you said or he said without consequence. And ultimately, you know, he is bearing the consequences now. Um, The one problem that I do have with the entire situation is, is that people aren't really seeing exactly, you know, what was bad about the entire situation. Someone's asking me in the inbox about the you people statement saying, well, you know, he said you people about, you know, kids that are playing hockey growing up. He said, but it's the context in which it was put. And you can't forget what was said after you people. And that's you come to this country. And that there, that's when it gets me the most. And that was when I, I, I thought that, you know, Roger Sports Who do you think he was right talking to? Oh, I know. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. think he was talking to, to my ancestors who fled violence in Ireland to come here? Or, or you know, my my ancestors who fled pogroms in, in Europe? No, it, uh, we, we all know who he was talking to. Mm-hmm. And and the you people comment just aims but to it's, but put, it's a, not, put a spotlight but, but on it's, them. But, J.D., the, the, you know, we, that's we know the, that. The one part, though, that, that, that it's the you come to this country or you come here, excuse me. That's the part that got me the most. If you, if he had said, you people out there not wearing your poppies, yada, yada, go from there, then, okay, I get it. You're talking about everyone you're seeing that's not supporting what you feel is the troops. You know, Remembrance Day, et cetera. But when you say you come here, that's when things change for me. And, that, and that's it. I, I, I really, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I know we will. As we progress on, and of course, Hockey Night in Canada will not have Don Cherry tonight. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with it. But honestly, hockey's going to move on, and so shall we. Agree? Disagree? I, I think that there's a lot of healing left to be done. Sure. I, I think that much is clear, and I think that what happened with Jess Allen, who I stand entirely in solidarity with, is, is evidence of that. Well, I'll tell you what, this inbox right now, it's just, it's, it's going in quick and it's coming from both sides. Uh, somebody did t- uh, text in, it's not black and white, exactly. And that's, that's just exactly how I feel. I feel there, there, that there is some gray in between. But I mean, guys, like, let's, let's be honest here. If you are a Don Cherry supporter, I mean, the guy's had a great run. He's had a great run. What? Close to 40 years on air. I mean, that's, that's a huge, like, in broadcasting, to be able to be a broadcaster for half of your life, like, that doesn't happen for a lot of us that are in this industry. He shouldn't have his, happened for him. He's had his run, and it was time to move on. Uh, Croker, we can take calls, but we're going to have to do it on the other side. So uh, the caller that just called in here, if he wants to wait, we'll take the call on the other side. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores here on TSN 1040.
out of uh, Matt Sakaris' book there. Uh, Rink-wide, it's the show that always scores. J- uh, I'd like to thank Croker for, for playing that uh, nice, mellow Souls of Mischief to come back in. I feel like things got a little hot, a little heated. JD's manifesto blowing, blowing ish up, as the kids say, inbox blowing up. Guys, we're going we're, we're gonna to move on from that. We're going to pivot from that. We have had this all week. Everybody has voiced their opinion. If we're not listening to each other, if we're not hearing what each other has to say, if we're not debating, understanding, we're not going to get anywhere. And clearly, from what I'm seeing in this inbox right now, we're not going to get very far with that. So, let's get back to actual hockey. You good with that, J.D.? I'm, I'm okay with that. You okay with that? I'm okay with it. Colorado Avalanche is in town tonight. Let's get excited. One of the, one of Nate the most, McKinnon's in town tonight. One of the most exciting hockey teams that we yeah, have seen man. in the last, what, decade? We're going to talk to Ryan Clark from not, the Not the best, but one of the most exciting, for sure. Like, they, they play hockey the way I wanted to see it played. Absolutely. We're going to talk to Ryan Clark from the Athletic uh, in Denver. Colorado Avalanche reporter. Correct. Uh, in just a moment, we had to make a a, a, um, a change. If you guys are wondering, we're going to do Thomas Trance at two uh, thirty, and we'll talk to Ryan in just a moment here and get the uh, the Avs perspective because they're struggling right now in terms of like they're doing okay on the ice over their last ten. Eh. But injuries really setting in uh, for the Avalanche right now. Rantanen, of course, has been out for a while. Landis Cog out. Um, they're going to start a NHL goaltender tonight that maybe not quite an NHL goaltender. No, sir. No, sir. I, I mean, he was playing with the San Jose Barracuda last year, and I, I think he won AHL goaltender of the year, if memory serves. But he, yeah. he is not. I've seen that before, though. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's more of a credit to the, the San Jose Sharks developmental staff than it is Antoine Bebo's uh, quality or, or medal as a starter, mind you. So, I mean, you know what, though? Like, don't, don't take this for granted. I know I said this earlier, but look at how many times the Canucks have had to face a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh string goaltender and have totally pulled up short. Yeah. Think of how many times that has happened. Remember the the Curtis Sanford year where the Canucks would have made the playoffs if they didn't face Curtis Sanford and the last place St. Louis Blues because he shut them out. He shut them out, I think, two or three times that year. And he was what, their third or fourth string at that point? I mean, heck, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Uh, the in, in case you didn't know, guys, they're going to wear the uh, throwback downhill skate '94, I guess, era uh, sweaters tonight. And we we so we we started a d- debate on it because JD's not a fan of it. That's my favorite one. So we said, all right. Screw it. Let's do a poll question. Which Canucks sweater do you prefer? And, of course, we gave you the four options, the Flying V, the Downhill Skate, the Orca, or the Stick and Rink. Right now, just under, well, 416 votes. 54% of you saying the Downhill Skate. So they agree with me, J.D. I like that. Well, Because you don't always agree with me. Sometimes the people get it wrong. And I'd like to think that this is one such instance. And uh, I am disputing the results of this election. And uh, I will... 
speak no further on this until the results are corrected. Stick and rink uh, holding steady in uh, second place with 27% of the vote. Uh, the Orca, uh, just 10%, which is funny because, I mean, like, that is their That's the sweater. That's their logo. That's what they wear. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of sweaters, we got to ask Ryan Clark about this. Oh, are you talking about the, the ones that oh, were revealed this week? Oh, my goodness. It, I don't know if I love or hate them. I, le- yeah? I legit can't decide. Yeah. It's like the first time I saw it, it looked like a t-shirt, and I thought it was an abomination. And then I saw it further out. And I thought it was a bit better. Yeah, if you and, don't and know, I'm what, trying to figure out where I stand overall on that one. If you don't know what we're talking about, we are talking about the uh, uh, the jersey that the um, Colorado Avalanche are going to wear. Um, it's not the Winter Classic that they're in for that one, um, but anyway, the Avs are going to wear a throwback in their outdoor game. Uh, they're playing against the Kings, um, and it's a sweater that's got like. Well, anyway, let's bring Ryan in, and maybe he can and, and describe it for or explain it to us. Uh, Ryan Clark uh, from the Athletic. Uh, in Denver joining us now. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining the show. Hey, no problem, Andrew. I, I love listening to everything you do, man. I think you do a fantastic job. As far as the J.D. Burt person you're with, <laughs> can't say that I've honestly ever heard of him. Um, wow. I think as far as we know, it's probably a figment of someone's imagination. I mean, I, I see this person on Twitter, and oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I only say this out of love. Like, I love JD to death, so I'm just only saying this Aww, to be that guy. Thanks, buddy. I was wondering when you were going to turn. I mean, we, we were having such friendly discussions going into this, and then I, I, I was telling Juan, it's like, oh, this guy's the best, man. I, I love Ryan. I got that for that guy. And then he just comes on and... and <laughs> Boom, shiv at the back. I'll tell you what, Ryan, at least there's one person out there that has some love for uh, JD. <laughs> um, okay, so oh, oh, can you please explain this? So the, the abs are going to be playing in the stadium series, right? And those right. those sweaters that got re- that got leaked, like, is this for real? That that A that's in the middle of, have, have you, have, has it been confirmed that they're actually going to wear those? It has not yet been confirmed just because, again, they're not being funny. But with this team right now, there are just so many injuries going on that it's kind of like uh, the sweaters become almost an afterthought in a sense. And we'll get more to that in a second. But, look, we've all seen that image start floating around. And it's like anything. You know, at first you see it. And you're like, okay, that's no way it can be real. But then you start seeing it more and more, and you start looking at certain things, like where the tag placement is, this and that. And plus, we hear about these things happening all the time. Like, I remember with the Washington Huskies, they had their reveal party on a boat where they told media, you can't bring any photos, videos, whatever. So beat writers were left to actually drawing what it looked like. But then days before, like... There was a photo of Chris Peterson and a couple of his players in these new unis that leaked. So, again, this thing happened. So, I mean, it's possible those could be the sweaters that, that come out. And just from, again, seeing how certain abs fans feel, uh, if those are indeed the sweaters, it's something that has – how do I put this? It has incited a lot of feelings and opinion from people, many of them which uh, state that they probably would not purchase that sweater. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, one person on the station called it a poncho. They said it looked like a poncho, which is kind of. Uh, I thought that was a good way to describe it. But uh, hey, listen, I think it'll sell. Honestly, I think it's that off the wall that if, if it was what they're going to wear, I think it would sell. Let's get to tonight's game, though. Um, Avalanche really going uh, through a lot of injuries right now. Uh, Grubauer, uh, Rantanen, McKinnon, Landeskog. Am I missing anybody? I mean, this list is long. Well, McK- I mean, McKinnon. McKinnon is playing, but yeah, I mean, like, 
sure. I doubt he's probably at 100%. Day-to-day yeah. -day is how he's listed. Yeah. He, he's still playing, yes, but those other players are, 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 are out. Altogether, I want to say maybe seven or so players, because let's see, Gabriel Landeskog is out, Nico Rontanen is out, Colin Wilson is out. It was announced today that Tyson Jost is day-to-day -day with an upper body injury. Philip Grubauer remains out, but he worked with the team today, and Jared Bednar said that was the most full-on practice that he's had to this point. And then Pavel Francouz is still in concussion protocol and recovery, uh, and the plan was for him to get some work in after morning skate at Rogers. So right now, that's really where the injury list stands. Of course, Pierre Edward Belmare came back against uh, the Edmonton Oilers after sustaining a concussion against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But right now, I mean, it's a team that, again, just right when you think you have one piece figured out, something else happens. And it's really just been about not only managing, but managing to the point where whatever happens with the Avalanche, it affects the Eagles. And then it affects their ECHL team in Utah. So, again, it's just, it's just one domino after the other. We're speaking with Ryan Clark from The Athletic in Denver. Hey, Ryan, I wanted to ask you about one of the, the Colorado Avalanche's reclamation projects. And, and that player would be one Andre Burakovsky. The Canucks were linked to him for, gee, it felt like an entire year last year. And, of course, it just never came to be. The, the two sides, the Capitals and Canucks, could never really agree to a deal. The, the Colorado Avalanche ponied up, and they paid a pretty hefty price for Andre Burakovsky. And it seems to be working out 14 points in 19 games. What can you say about his early success within the Avalanche organization? Sure. Well, there's quite a few things. And so part one of this would be, you know, let's call it PI and AI, pre-injury and after injury. So pre-injury, he was on a line with Nazem Kadri and Giannis Donskoy. And they were a trio that was able to work in a manner that saw Kadri and Donskoy really work for possession fight in the corners, do all those things you need to do. And Burakovsky more or less sort of be that target man that you would kind of feed the puck to, to which you would either let him shoot, distribute, or whatever. But then as part of that, you really start seeing his defensive game improve because in Washington, there were questions about his two-way ability. And since coming to Colorado, I mean, both Kadri and Donskoy said, you know, he's improved. There are times we have conversations on and off the ice about, okay, this is what we saw. Here's where you can get better in these areas. And even Jared Bednar said not that long ago, like, hey, look, I think Andre's, you know, defense, he's shown a commitment. Now, when you look at after injury, this is where it's gotten a little bit interesting because you've seen the lineups move and shuffle to what one point Burakovsky was on the fourth line. But when you look at what he did past game against Edmonton, now that he's playing, I believe, on second line again, you're starting to see more of that scoring ability. And so, really, it's, of course, the ice time that's going to be the big thing. But it's also the fact of, like, who he's playing with, with Kadri and Donskoy. Again, when everyone is healthy, but really the thing with Andre Burkowski is they've given him the ice time and even strength. They've given him the opportunity on the power play, but really it's just more of an amplified role than what he had while also just finding a way to fit into a system that's really needed secondary scoring. Well, you look at this Colorado Avalanche team and all the injuries they've suffered, and you alluded to that in your commentary on Andre Burakovsky and even the team at large. I'm looking at the standings here. I'm seeing a team that's second place in a very difficult division. I mean, it, it, they're probably looking at this like if they can survive this stretch, is this a team that's really starting to establish itself as a legitimate NHL contender for the Stanley Cup? 
I mean, again, it's possible that that's, I think, the, the million-dollar question with this team is, you think about those first 10 games when everyone is healthy, not saying 8-1-1 one, and one for every 10-game sequence is going to be the result, but you look at it and say it's a starting point because you know what that first line can be. And going back to that second line when everyone's healthy, the, perhaps like the most bizarre part in the whole thing is Kadri Burakovsky and Donskoy weren't even in Denver last year, yet all of a sudden they kind of become this, you know, build a second line that's worked. And see that forward depth, you see the defensive depth, you see what you have in goaltending and you think it can work, but the thing is everybody needs to see more of it before coming to any sort of definitives, but to your point, it seems like if this team can find a way to manage and again play either at or above 500 before everybody comes back, then it's really going to be telling in the sense of what they do, but right now it is all about managing all of this. Uh, we're speaking to Ryan Clark from the Athletic Colorado Avalanche reporter. Uh, Ryan, uh, of course, Nazem Kadri comes in uh, for the Avalanche in that trade with uh, Tyson Berry. A long-time Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, us up here in Canada have seen a lot of him, whether it was uh, whether you wanted to or not. It's always uh, The Leafs are always put down our throat here. Uh, how has he been for the Avalanche so far this year? I mean, he's been good in a lot of different areas. So, I mean, again, you look at what he brings in terms of secondary offense, but also it's just it's the role he plays within the team because the, the issue the Avalanche had faced is ever since Matt Deshane left, do you really have a true number two center? They've rotated different players into that role, and it just hasn't worked out. But with Nazem Kadri, you know he's your second-line center. The second role that he plays, again, when everyone is healthy, is you look at what they do in that 1-3-1 one, one power play, and he plays that middle role, and Nathan McKinnon has even said, He's the best middle player we've had since Matt Deshane left. And when everyone's healthy, you have McKinnon and Rontanen operating at the half walls. You have Landeskog down low. You have uh, Kadri in the middle. And then you have Kale McCarr running things at the point. And it has the potential to be one of those dangerous, dangerous power plays, again, when everyone is healthy. But really the third role Kadri's played, again, aside from his on-ice production, is it's the role he's played off ice. And, you know, Ray Ferraro made this really killer point. When at the beginning of the season when we interviewed him for a story, he said, Kadri plays with a sort of boldness that you saw from the Avalanche late last year in the playoffs. And so to have that sort of figure in the dressing room that adds to what you have in McKinnon and Landeskog and Eric Johnson and Matt Calvert, Ian Cole, he's another one of these players who he's seen good, he's seen bad, he's seen everything in between. But more importantly, when things are kind of hectic, that's another veteran who can be in that dressing room, who can bring that sort of presence that really helps even things out. So, again, the impact he's had has been actually pretty massive here in Denver. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is if you look at the the way the Leafs are right now, it's almost like they could use Kadri in their lineup, and Tyson Berry uh, hasn't really been uh, what they would hope he has been. And, you know, Alexander Kerfoot is a nice little pickup for them, but they kind of need that grit that uh, uh, Kadri brings. I want to ask you about the the sports landscape in Denver. Of course, you know, uh, a lot of uh, options for the uh, sporting fan in that city. You know, of course, the Broncos, the Nuggets, who are led by a Canadian, might I remind you. Uh, and the Avs. So where do the Avs sort of uh, fit in the sports landscape of the city? 
Probably second, just because, I mean, the best way to describe how big the Broncos are in Denver, it's much like the Canucks here. You know, I mean, you, you talk about Denver and the history that it's had with the Super Bowl teams, whether it be John Elway, Terrell Davis, uh, Shannon Sharp, Ed McCaffrey, whose son Christian, of course, is, you know, one of the front runners for NFL MVP. And so because of that and because they've been around so for so many years, they have a foothold in that city and in that state. And plus with football, just it's America's game at the moment. It surpassed baseball a while ago. Whereas if you look at the abs and they've been second, it's just the issue the abs, the nuggets and the Rockies face are one. Denver is such an NFL heavy town that you're always competing against that juggernaut. But the second thing is this, like those teams have to be really, really, really good. It seems for the city to kind of buy in. And with the avalanche, you think about it first year, they there, they win the whole thing a few years later they win again and then there's that 10-year window as they're winning where if they weren't winning the championship they were coming really close they had all these stars but then they went through this sort of downturn that with each of these downturns you saw these failed rebuild attempts that made people kind of wonder do they really have it now when you look at them it looks like this is legitimate that this is going to be something that's sustainable it's just a matter of how do you build from it because when they hosted the Calgary Flames in game three of the playoffs last season there are plenty of people who worked with the abs or around the abs who've all kept saying the same thing that was the loudest they've ever heard pepsi center for a playoff game maybe in franchise history and so that's just it is when this city sees that this team is going in a certain direction and they think it's believable and sustainable it's something that they can get on board but no matter how good the abs the nuggets or the rockies are they're always going to have to challenge the denver broncos for attention we got one one last question for you here, just because we're running up against it. No, ask away. I, I, I wanted to fun. forget Drance. You can talk to him whenever. Yeah, fair point. True. And yeah. and some would argue that I already hear too much from him anyway. But here here's one question that I wanted to ask you. I look at this team. I don't know if they're the best team that I've ever seen. I don't want to get carried away. But they're certainly one of the most entertaining hockey teams I've seen in a long time of covering this sport. Do you kind of feel like they're a standard bearer or somewhat of a referendum on whether a team can play that run-and-gun style and be successful in today's NHL? It's it's hard to say definitively, but... It, this is fair to say. We all look at the World Cup of Hockey, and Chris Peters from ESPN has made this point because he's one of my best friends. We talk every day. For him, Good he day. argues jokingly that Team North America ruined hockey because everyone saw that youth, that speed, this aggressive style of play and said, this is why the league needs to get younger. And the Avalanche have kind of been a team that's really followed that model. And so the thing is, is no one's going to know definitively how well it works until A, it's done, and B, if they've won a Stanley Cup or multiple Stanley Cups or none at all. So, again, it's a question that won't be answered for a while, but what we've seen is this. We've seen a team that has made this commitment to get skill, speed, and hockey sense and put it together. And so when you add all those different elements, it looks like it's something that could work. You look at what they system with Bowen Byram, Alex Newhook, uh, Connor Timmons, Shane Bowers, Martin Kaut, you know, the list kind of goes on. And the thought is this could be sustainable for a long time, but as for right now, there's no denying that they're a team that when they're on television or they're in your city, people are one are going to go see because of McKinnon, because of Ronson and McCarr, you name it, but to see how this works in the long term, the thought is it can, but in terms of definitive, it's so hard to say right now because remember, it wasn't that long ago. This was 48 point team.
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is absolutely, you, you forget about that. You forget about that season that the, the Avs had. Uh, before we let you go here, uh, uh, Ryan, Greg Bell, is that a name that uh, seems familiar to you? Greg Bell is the greatest teammate I've ever had. <laughs> I cannot say enough great things about Greg Bell. When I was at the News Tribune, I was only there for six months. But there's not a person you would want your newsroom having your back than Greg Bell. I will never, ever, ever bad my- yeah. Now, Greg is our uh, Seahawks insider on our afternoon drive show here. And, uh, you know, there are some that think that uh, he might go for the beat when it, when the uh, NHL team uh, finally gets a name down there in Seattle. So you might be seeing Greg in press boxes around the league coming up. Uh, Ryan, uh, appreciate you taking the time today. I uh, love the insight and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Hey, you got it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan Clark from The Athletic, a Colorado Avalanche reporter. Yeah, good stuff there. You're absolutely right. Friend of the program. Yeah, well, friend of mine. I don't know about you. But but it would appear I've lost that privilege, (laughs) certainly. Um, you're you're absolutely right about this team, though. I mean, they're they're really fun to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. Is it the kind of hockey that's sustainable? See, this is the one thing I look at with the, with the Canucks is you got this kind of up tempo sort of team that they're trying to build to be fast, but then come playoff time, and I, I know Colorado did have a bit of success uh, last year, but mm-hmm. come playoff time, it's so hard to go four rounds and be able to do that, right? So, but they were one yep. win away no, from the Western right. Conference. You're final. absolutely right, and and one of my favorite teams. Watch! I can't. I, I'm just. I'm choked that Rantanen is not playing tonight. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to get a you know the best of McKinnon. Of course, uh, he is playing tonight, but he is he has a, a day-to-day status uh, that was reported by Ryan uh, Clark actually. Uh, but be great when they get to uh, full strength again because boy, do they need Rantanen. The league needs Rantanen. He was so good. Oh, last absolutely. Year. The 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 league needs that line at a hundred percent because it's a better place when those players are playing together. Quick question before we uh, go to break here. Yep. Who would you rather have, Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr? Oh, that's tough. Quinn Hughes, you know I keep it one hundred. Come on, man. Just because he was ar- like already with the Canucks, is that no? What you're I, that, I think that Quinn Hughes yeah. is is just that special of a player. Sure, I'm going to go with Quinn Hughes. All right, he has All right. a better underlying profile. All right. Then, then Kale McCarr, and he keeps up with the points. I'm, you know I'm sticking with it. I'm going to ask that question on the other side to Thomas Drant. He joins us next here on Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Did you know you can get a breakfast sandwich at Tim Hortons anytime, morning, noon, or night? And for a limited time, try the new smoked sausage breakfast sandwich made with juicy, delicious smoked sausage. Enjoy Tim Hortons breakfast anytime with our new smoked sausage breakfast sandwich. And participating restaurants hours may vary. Now, more of Rink-Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watt. Welcome back to Rink-Wide. It's the show that always scores. We give you the loop. Don't we, J.D.? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little Biggie Smalls. Jason Croker is just... I I get down with Biggie. I mean... He's firing on the wheels of steel, like, every single week here. Where, Where do you think that Biggie would rank compared to... Lil Xan. Who would you rather have? Kale McCarr or Biggie Smalls? I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, there are a couple people in the inbox that are chiming in right now. Wrong again. McCarr has a better profile in the small sample and is 20 plus pounds heavier. Don't know really what that means, but which gives him a small edge and probably of getting hurt. 
Okay, I don't quite get that. I think he's suggesting that the fact that he is a slightly heavier, larger so individual means he will get hurt less get, often. Okay, I got you. Um, Elias Patterson's sure. doing okay in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Seems uh, to be doing okay. Another one, Makar War, 1.4, Hughes, 0. 0.9. I know that's you love those stats. Yeah, well, I mean, heck, there's one data point that refutes what I just said. But, I mean, as the song goes, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing when it refutes my points. Great bridge. All right, let's bring Thomas Drance into the conversation because, Drancer, you, may, you literally rode the bus to, well, maybe not took the bus to it, but you, we call our segment with the Utica Comets, Ride the Bus. Well, you literally went to Utica and uh, got the scoop, so uh, tell us about your travels around the AHL. Sure, yeah. Well, I didn't ride the bus. I had a rental car, and I'd tell you what I rented, but I don't do free promos. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> free market uh, principles, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I had a, I had a nice guy... I upgraded, right? I got the SUV because I expected some snow, but I got good weather, drove from the Syracuse Airport to Utica, uh, really got a, a interesting tour of the old God, uh, which is a pretty a, a exciting place to watch a game, all told. I mean, it's a pretty rowdy atmosphere. It's a pretty unique sort of environment. They've done a pretty significant refurbishment. Uh, to the building itself, which, you know, was pretty cool to see. I mean, it's pretty clear that that team has struck a chord in that local market. Um, they've tapped into something, and, and they're very well supported, and it, and it shows, right? They've had something like 170 sellouts over six years there, which, you know, speaks to a sort of healthy, um, you know, business. And, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty cool place to watch a game. The Comets lost that night. Um, and they didn't play that well, I didn't think. They were pretty roundly outshot. Uh, Michael DiPietro was, was clearly their best player. Uh, and, you know, they had a lead in the third period and got scored on twice in about a 25-second span and, and ultimately lost some regulation. And then I went down to Bingo, uh, old Binghamton, New York, um, which, you know, I'd say... I didn't enjoy as much as Utica. I kind of thought Utica was sneaky underrated. There, <laughs> I found a couple of good restaurants and some things to enjoy about Utica. I didn't find anything similar in Bingo. And I uh, watched, you know, the Comets play the uh, Binghamton Devils. Uh, that Devils team is pretty veteran. There, there weren't a ton of sort of prospects or, or even notable players under the age of 23 on, on the club, right? There was a lot of guys like Joe Morrow who put in their time. And that night, uh, you know, the Utica Commons managed to have a comeback victory. They won in overtime. Uh, Zach McKeon with the winner. And, and sort of my overall takeaways were, you know, I thought that Oleo Levy's skating looked like a work in progress. I was pretty impressed by Brogan Rafferty, who looked to me like a player who might be, you know, capable of stepping in and, and playing third-pair minutes. Pretty good, pretty quick. Uh, some skill there, um, even if he sort of wasn't used on the power play. And, you know, Gold, uh, Goldobin looked excellent. I mean, he looked too good for that level, which is what you want to see. Although some of what, you know, I think cost him uh, his spot in Vancouver, just in terms of that ability to maybe come out of more 50-50 situations with the puck, um, sort of didn't look different at the American League level than it, than it did to me during the NHL preseason. So those are sort of my big picture takeaways. Overall, I'd say the Canucks' or the Canucks top prospect while I was down there was probably uh, Di Pietro, uh, which sort of makes sense. Right? If there's one sort of 
position that the Canucks have genuinely managed to develop in the American League, it is their goaltending, right? Markstrom spent some time there. Demko obviously spent some time there. Uh, Di Pietro, you know, his size didn't look like it was an issue. He looked calm and collected, looked like he'd adapted some of the technical aspects he's been working on, specifically using that sort of high stance a little more. It uh, looks like he sort of integrated that pretty organically into his game and uh, looked like a player to me. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how the comments do. Uh, obviously, Levy's sort of in and out of the lineup right now. Uh, not quite clear if he's injured or if the club's really doubling down on this load management thing. Um, but obviously, as you know, the likes of Sven Berge and Adam Gaudet have been pressed in action up in Vancouver. They've sort of cooled down pretty significantly and, and look kind of more like a fringe American League playoff team uh, that'll be pretty reliant on DPSO and that sort of mobile defense they've got. Uh, to kind of make noise here over the latter part of the season. Utica, sneaky, underrated. Words you will never hear again on this station. (laughs) We do have a report, uh, Drance, from Jim Benning. It just got released by the uh, Canucks. Uh, Olio Levy was removed from the Utica Comets active roster and will be evaluated by Canucks medical staff in Vancouver. He has a lower body ailment unrelated to the recent knee injury. No timeline yet for his Return so uh, that's, uh, that's too bad, you know. Yeah, uh, obviously they've been pretty careful with him overall. Uh, he's had some extra days off and on and on, and you know there have been there there were signs in my view anyway that while his sort of brain was back up to full speed, his legs weren't. And so you know, sad to see. Uh, I mean, it just sucks for a guy who's worked really hard, regardless of sort of the politics around his draft position and on and on. Um, you know, you just never like to see a guy sort of have a recurrence of these kind of issues. Um, you know, you've you got to feel for him. So every time we talk to somebody from Utica so far this year, and Joe Roberts just, like could not say enough good things about Michael uh, DiPietro. So we've been down that road already. But I want your thoughts on Brogan Rafferty because I know that Rick Dollywall has been talking to some pro scouts that are following the uh, the HL, and in particular the Comets, and he they are glowing over Brogan Rafferty right now. Might be quite the fine for the Canucks. Yeah, you know, he's been really good. Uh, one of the pro scouts I spoke to sort of cited him as not just one of the best rookies on the Comets, but maybe one of the best rookies in the American League. And considering the impact that players like Prisky and Peak have had, similar rookie blue liners in, in the American League this season, uh, you kind of sort of pay attention to that, right? Um, you know, there's still some learning to be done there, I think, in terms of you know, when to jump, when not to jump, some of those similar sort of sort of basic things. Uh, but defensively, he looked solid to me. He was playing, you know, on the PK. He was playing on the half wall, on the power play, kind of in a forwards role. Um, you know, I saw him use both on his downhill side and on his one-timer side in that spot. And, you know, just in terms of his ability to rush the puck and, and read play and, you know, move it in the right direction, I mean, it stayed out. I thought he was the standout blue liner that I saw on that Comets team, and, uh, you know, that's uh, that's so certainly auger as well for a Canucks organization that has done pretty well in terms of mining, you know, the NCAA ranks for kind of under-the-radar defensemen. I mean, they obviously have two such players on their roster right now in Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher, and, you know, you look at sort of Brogan Rafferty and, and what he's accomplished already, and, and there's not a ton of upside necessarily there just because he is 24. But, you know, if he can be a competent third-pair guy in the next 
six months to a year, I mean, that sort of helps the Canucks as they look to their next steps and, and what they're going to do on the right side of their defense score, especially with players like both Tanev and Stetcher uh, on expiring contracts. We're talking to Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver. Well, Drance, I wanted to follow up on something we were talking about earlier this year, and I wanted to get your comments on Schaller's missed breakaway. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I was actually hoping that I could get your comments on... Good dig, good dig. Well yeah, done. Yeah. No, I mean, Drance and players that can't finish on breakaways, is there a better duo? Try and name one. I'll listen. Um, I think you and I, too, especially when we're in the midst of a, of a classic Twitter spec. Yes, and, and those are gold. I was saying Fraser right. Ali last week. But no, I wanted to ask ask you about uh, Josh Tevez and and here's somebody who I mean it's it's pretty much a less than useless stat but he had led the the Utica Comets in plus minus for a pretty noteworthy uh, period of time there he's Brogan Rafferty's partner when he's in the lineup and yet by all accounts uh, it, it seems as though he's healthy and he's being scratched of late for reasons that I'm having a difficult time sussing out uh, were you able to figure out anything about Josh Tevez's situation and his development with the Utica Comets when you were down there in beautiful, exotic, uh, culinary paradise, <laughs> underrated. Uh, Utica. Super underrated. Tim Saller and Utica, New York. No, uh, the you know I didn't I didn't get too deep into the weeds with Josh Tevez, but I will say he played the first game that I was there at four, and he was scratched the second game that I was there for. And to me, anyway, he was a standout in that first game for his sort of defensive play. Now, the production hasn't been there, and typically, if you're, even if you are a sort of more defensive-calibrated d- defender in the American League, if you're not kind of putting up points at that level, that doesn't tend to be a good sign for your NHL-level ceiling, especially considering his age. But that said, you know, he looked solid, I thought, uh, at least in terms of being sort of one of those more hybrid-type shutdown guys who can transition the puck, but really is going to, you know, earn their bread in their own end of the rink. And, you know, I sort of can't get too deep into the weeds with why he's been scratched, but I will say that when he was scratched for the second game that I saw, I, I took it to be a bit of a surprise, especially considering he stood out to me uh, in the first game. Well, I, I think that kind of leads nicely into this next question here, and it's one that kind of follows a trend from last season, and that is, where should Vancouver Canucks fans' confidence be, where should their confidence level be, rather, in this team's ability to develop NHL talent? And I don't think that's an unfair question to ask, given the history of this this relationship between the Vancouver Canucks and Utica Comets. We haven't seen proof of concept at, uh, at a significant level yet, and for a team that's nominally been rebuilding as long as the Canucks have, I think that some concern has kind of crept into this market. Where do you stand after having visited Utica, had a chance to see the team practice with Trent Cole, uh, play under Trent Cole? Where are your thoughts on this this very sensitive issue? Yeah, I think the fact of the matter is, is that Vancouver needs to graduate a higher degree of AHL-level players to their NHL roster. It's been sort of sparse uh, during the seven-year tenure of this affiliation agreement, and you know, one thing Robert S. sort of said was he thinks they're getting better at it, and he sort of pointed to, um, you know, some of the personnel that the Canucks have added down there in terms of having that skills coach and having sort of additional resources for the players down at the American League level. Um, you know, ultimately, I think that, you know, development's a big part of this, and 
maybe maybe it's that the Canucks haven't hit on the right players sort of after the first round, uh, or maybe it's that they haven't done enough to sort of maximize what they've gotten out of the likes of, you know, and, and it's those players like Anton Rodin and Petrus Palmu and on and on down the line where, you know, maybe they're not going to be world beaters, but can you turn them into the sort of player who can be even Brendan Gaunt, like a useful fourth liner, a guy you can at least sort of plug in your lineup at a league minimum salary uh, and have them contribute, you know, a useful sort of role in 8 to 12 minutes a game. And the Canucks just haven't kind of been able to find that push uh, over the last seven years. And and it's a significant issue, I think. Uh, You know, aside from the net, you know, the the, the goaltenders, um, they haven't done a good enough job of that. And I think there's recognition of that, certainly. Um, You know, and then on the Trent Cole side, I mean, the games I saw anyway seemed like the young guys played a fair bit. If there was anything we were going to quibble on with usage, it would have been Tevez coming out of the lineup and Yasik not playing on the power play. Um, and, you know, to me, those are kind of sort of minor issues. Um, but, you know, this has kind of been a constant theme in this market, uh, especially when it's when Utica's sort of come up, and it, and it dates back to when Travis Green was there, right? Like, 2015, if you go back and read some of the articles about the Comets' run to the Calder Cup final, right, uh, you'll be able to find, you know, some people, including, like, Jason Botchford, Tony Gallagher, on and on, sort of bemoaning Travis's reliance on the likes of Wasey Hamilton, and <laughs> where's the young players? Why aren't they playing? Why aren't they playing a significant role? Even as the team was kind of grinding their way to you know, through the playoffs at the American League level. And, you know, so how much is it that this market kind of falls into that generally? Um, how much is it real? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, uh, um, at least when it terms, when it, at least in terms of when it comes to Trent Cole's overall deployment and impact on it. I think what is clear is that, you know, the Canucks need to find and develop you know, more talent at that American League level, especially because, you know, they're young guys who've come in, who've cracked the roster, you know, whether it's Besser, whether it's Pedersen, whether it's Hughes, they kind of spent their most meaningful pre-NHL years developing either in college or overseas. Drance, before we let you go, we have a poll question up because of the fact that the Canucks are wearing the downhill skate or the uh, plate of spaghetti, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so we're asking our audience today, and I'll ask you, which Canucks sweater do you prefer? The flying V, the downhill skate, the Orca, or the stick and rink? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the flying skate, personally. My thing with the flying skate, what I like about it is I always think about looking at downtown Vancouver from... You know, whether it's the mountains or whether it's from, you know, that sort of first part of the seawall as you go into Stanley Park. And, you know, at night anywhere, I always thought what's cool about the fire skate is those are the colors of Vancouver in the evening. Um, that's always been sort of my favorite part of that journey itself. Uh, I think it's cool. I think it sort of looks intimidating. And obviously it was the Canucks uniform as I was growing up. And so, you know, there's probably a certain level of nostalgic attachment to it there, even as I've grown out of being a fan or reading for the club. So, you know, for me anyway, I, I'm a flying skate guy. I'd be curious to see what the results of the poll are. The only thing I know for sure is that Flying V is losing. Well, yes, Flying V... Well, actually, <laughs> no, to be honest with you, the Orca is losing right now at 9% wow. of the vote. The Flying wow. V has 10% of the vote. And of course, you you picked the right answer because you agree yeah. with me and the downhill skate at 52 percent no. uh is leading stick and rink at 29 percent uh drance enjoy the game tonight should be a good one thank you gentlemen and you know one thing i'm especially excited about today 
introduced to launch of the Botchford Project. Yes. I've been fortunate to spend the day with David Quadrelli. Uh, you know, he's already had some one-on-ones with the likes of Chris Tanev, with the likes of Bo Horvat. He's working on a, on a great piece that'll debut at Canucks.com, but really excited to be involved in the project, really excited that The Athletic is supporting the project the way they are. And uh, it's going to be a cool night and a, and a cool way to sort of honor, uh, you know, a guy who meant a lot to me, and, and I know who meant a lot to the listeners of this station. So, uh, really looking forward to the game this evening. Here, here. Thanks so much, Thomas. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Cheers. Yeah. Hey. For yeah. Forgot all about that. To be honest, that they were launching it tonight. Uh, what a, what a day, you know, to to honor Botchford like that. Um, incredible. I love Man, the whole, I, the whole I project. Of, amazing. I was thinking of Botch when when Durant's pulled a wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I instantly. You know, I, I thought of him, and and thanks to Thomas for playing a role in this. Thanks to the Canucks for facilitating this, and congratulations, and the athletic, well. yeah. and, the athletic yeah. and congratulations to David Quadrelli. Absolutely. On the other side, we'll put a bow on the show. Keep it here. It is rink-wide on TSN 1040. Put the great back in the great outdoors with Whole Shot Motorsports. Buy select new Honda ATVs right now and you get a free snowplow and winch only at Canada's largest Honda Motorsport dealer. Whole Shot Motorsports. Hurry in. This offer won't last. Select new Honda ATVs come with a free snowplow, winch, and install. There's never been a better time to buy. Whole Shot Motorsports on 200th and Highway 1 in Langley and WholeShotRacing.ca. Right now, we should start the show. You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew White. All right, one last segment to go here. Going to be real quick because we have the debut of the Ray and Dregs podcast coming up next. If you haven't heard Ray Ferraro and uh, Darren Dreger's podcast, well, you get a chance to hear it now on TSN 1040. Going to be on every single Saturday after Rinkwide. Uh, quite the treat for us and for you, the listener, JD. We do it every week at the end of the show. We take a look at the road ahead, and we quite literally mean the road ahead because the Canucks start a six-game roadie after tonight that starts next Tuesday in Big D in Dallas. Then they'll head to Nashville on Thursday and finish up the week against the Capitals. And it's one of those early morning affairs against Ovi and the boys. Uh, real quick, give me 20 seconds, your thoughts on that. Just start of the road trip, which is uh, going to be quite the gauntlet to run for the Canucks. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the Dallas Stars are really starting to find themselves as a hockey club. And the Nashville Predators, I mean, they're always full value. Washington has been dominant this season. You know it's going to be a tough challenge, but I happen to think that the Canucks, if they can get a little bit of health on their side, are going to bounce back and make a run of it. Absolutely. want to thank everyone that joined us today. Thomas Drant from The Athletic, of course, here in Vancouver, covers the Canucks. And Ryan Clark from The Athletic in Denver. He is the Colorado Avalanche reporter. want to thank you guys for listening. Everybody that chimed in in the inbox today, enjoy the hockey tonight. Going to be a good one. Nate McKinnon. Yes, rate the show. Head over to iTunes. Rate the the show. Review the show. Hey, Nate McKinnon's in town tonight. And the Canucks are wearing their best uniform of all time. This has been Rinkwide. Have a great weekend, everybody. Shopping for a new natural gas water heater? Fortis BC makes it easier with their Trade Ally Network, a directory of licensed gas contractors. Search by appliance type, name, or location. Visit fortisbc.com slash find a gas contractor. That's energy at work.